You are listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast from Freedom Fellowship Church in Tontytown, Arkansas. Our mission is to love God, love others, and serve both. And now let's listen in to this week's sermon. Who actually runs your life? Who actually runs your life? Now in a nutshell, we're talking about Acts, and in a nutshell, if you look at the whole book of Acts, it's, it's basically kind of three primary areas. One of them, it's Jesus returns to his Father. He's taken up into the heavens. The Holy Spirit comes to the church. We'll be dealing with some with that today. And the gospel of Jesus spreads throughout the world. That's what the book of Acts, primarily in a nutshell, is about. Now, the word I want you to remember today is the word sovereign. So kind of plant that here. We're going to talk about it today. But the word sovereign is the word I want you to remember. I'm going to take you back a little bit. Some years ago, Karen and I accepted our first transfer. We had a young family and, and had been married a while. The uh, pretty scary thing that for those of you that can remember the experience as you think about transferring, you're thinking about you pick up your family, you move away from everything that you're used to, you move away from your church, oftentimes other family members that are there, and life as you know it. Now, we had prayed intently about this particular circumstance. We were part of a Bible study home group that was very uh, just a really praying group. And we prayed with them because what we were trying to do is, I'd been on night shift for seven years, and my kids were getting older. And it was in a position that we didn't get to, I didn't get to see them. You know, they're, they're coming home from school. I'm gone to work. They're, they're in bed. I'm coming back. You know, it was just a terrible circumstance. What we were asking is, the Lord, even if it meant relocation, to move in her life and give me an opportunity to be able to spend more time and be employed, but more time with my kids. So God answered our prayer. As I walked into work the very next afternoon, the big boss caught me. Very unusual for somebody at his level to catch me. But he caught me as I came in the door and he said, Tommy said, if I am not mistaken, I've heard that you're willing to transfer to relocate. And I said, yes, sir. And he said, so here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to go home. I want you to get your stuff. I want you to be in Springfield, Missouri tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. And if they like you, you're staying. Well, 36 hours from the time we had said that prayer, I'm in a new town with a new job on day shift. Now, events really unfolded there quite quickly. I'm going to be in... I'm, I'm an operations manager. I'm going to be in responsibility for about 20 or 25 people. So the very first day, they take me out into the break room, and all of them, or not all of them, but most of them are there in that room. So the very first thing I got to do as the new operations manager was break up a fight between two guys in the break room. Believe me, that was not the way I wanted to start my new experience. Because I thought, well, this is going to be a panacea. This is going to be a great thing for me. But I wasn't expecting that to happen. Over the next couple of weeks, things just got darker and darker. I'd go to work, and I ran into all kinds of situations and personalities. And, and a guy that, that I'm relieving that's leaving that's just a year older than me, and he's standing trying to give me some orientation before he goes out the door, and he's got a cigarette in both hands. I'm thinking, this can't be good. So I thought to myself, what have I gotten into? What have I done? What kind of decision have I made here? Karen and I prayed earnestly with our small group before we left. As I mentioned, and our house was for sale. Things were in motion. 
But we got to thinking, perhaps we didn't hear God. I mean, you know, what, <laughs> you know, but did we miss something here? You know, did, did I misread what he had to tell me? Was, was, was I just really sent there and uprooted from everything that I was used to? Was I just sent there just to fail? Now, I don't know about you, but I wonder if some of you, if you've been in a situation where you prayed and you really felt like you had an answer, but then after you felt like you had an answer, it seemed like everything in the world that could blow up blew up around you. That's kind of where we were at the time. You heard me speak the other day, and I was talking about laying a fleece. Now, Gideon in Judges 6, and that's where I directed you for homework the other day, Gideon in, cha in chapter 6 of Judges, what God had told him, he said, I want you to go rescue the Midianites. Well, I'm not going to take you through that whole story, but, but in, in essence, he was the least from his tribe, Scripture says. And so they, he's, you know, he's kind of doing the same thing. Some of you guys have been asked to do things, and you say, who, me? You know, you think that's the farthest thing from my imagination, that I would be called to do that or asked to do that type of thing. So Gideon, in his uncertainty, he said, okay, Lord, I, you know, I, I'm confused. I don't know that you would tell me to do this. This seems like way out of the ordinary. So here's what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a piece of fleece of, of, of wool, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to lay it on the ground. And if I wake up in the morning and the ground is all dry but that fleece is wet, then I'll know for sure that you've talked to me. And I'll know that you really want me to go off on this military mission of which I'm very ill-equipped. And so he gets up the next morning, expect he was pretty anxious. He gets up the next morning, the ground's dry. He goes to the fleece, he picks up the fleece, and literally you could wring water out of the fleece. So he's got his answer, right? Well... The next day, he said, Lord, I, <laughs> don't be angry with me, but I, I just need to do this one more time, okay? Because maybe that was an accident or some act in nature or something that happened. But, Lord, I just, uh, so what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to put that fleece down again. And if I get up tomorrow and the ground's all wet but the fleece is dry, then I'll know for sure that that really is you talking to me. Well, guess what? He got up the next morning. The fleece was dry, the ground was wet, so Gideon had his marching orders. He knew that God sent me. I don't know how this is going to work out, but I am going to do what he asked me to do. Well, see, that was our case, too, for Karen and I as we went on this adventure. Now, no, I'm not telling you that it's necessary or even appropriate to always lay a fleece about a decision. But there is scriptural basis for some of those things to happen. But we would be asking God again, we'd be asking him again, is this really what you told us to do? I mean, the place I went was a stinking mess. Or did I miss your will? Or did it, if I did, I just need to pack up. I need to be, if I'm at, without a job, I'll find work. I'll go back home. I'll go back to the things that are familiar to me. And I'll just, we'll just kind of regroup and start over. Well, if you don't study the fleece it sounds pretty weird but one of the things I'd remind you of is when Judas Iscariot went out and ceremonially hung himself after after he did what he did it became necessary for the apostles to fill his position they were going to backfill his job and so what they did was is that scripture tells us that they cast lots for his job okay think about it as dice if you will you think well, that's pretty weird 
But if you only read that part and you didn't pay attention, you would understand that they, that they, they bathed it in prayer before they did that. So that what they got was, was actually God speaking about which one of these qualified people would be asked to join them. Well, that was our prayer too. We're, we're waiting on the company because what had happened is the company wanted to expedite our move. And if you've ever been part of a relocation, sometimes the company will buy your property to just move things along for you faster. And that's what they were going to do. So we were waiting for them to give us an offer. So Karen and I talked about a fleece, and we prayed earnestly, and we prayed a lot about it. And what we did is we said, okay, this may sound simple, but if it comes back, the price they give us, if it comes back in even thousands, Lord, we'll know you're speaking. And believe me, this was bathed in prayer. But we, we said, Lord, if, you, if it comes back in even thousands, we'll know we're supposed to stay here. I'm supposed to make the best of it. I'm supposed to do the best with what I got that you've sent us. And that is our plan. It's your plan for us. But if it comes back odd thousands, then we'll know that, in fact, what you've done is we've missed God's will. I need to pack up. I need to go home. We need to regroup and need to start over again. So we waited, it seemed like, forever. Day by day, we'd have our evening phone call, and Karen and I would talk about it, and no envelope. Haven't, hadn't had anything in the mail. So remember that we're talking about even thousands we stay, odd thousands we go. And like I say, we've waited forever, seemingly, for the envelope. So finally, the envelope shows up. And in her evening call, we're talking about it, and she said, I have the envelope. And we're both about half panicky, kind of wondering what we're going to find out. She hadn't opened it. She'd been faithful. And I said, well, let's open it together. I'm on the other end of the phone. Let's open it together, and let's see what, in fact, we've done. Let's see whether or not that if it's even, we stay. If it's odd, we go home because we've missed God's will for us in our life, having misinterpreted that whisper in our ear. So the number, please. She pulls out the envelope. She opens the number, and the number is $48,500. So we were speechless for a moment. She asked the question. She said, Tom, is that even or odd? <laughs> well, it took a while for us to soak in on us because... We had even thousands, but we had odd hundreds as we tried to determine what it was that God was trying to tell us. See, we, we prayed with other believers about this circumstance. But it took a little while to soak in. But then it, then it came to us, not verbally, but it came to us as an answer. And this is really kind of what we got out of it. It said this. This is, if you can just think about God speaking, if you will, in this particular situation. He said, uh, well, let me see, Tom and Karen. You prayed with other believers, other believers. You prayed, and you asked and expected an answer. You said the desire of your heart, even if you're willing to relocate, was to be somewhere you could be on day shift, and you could spend time with your family, which allowed you to be just involved in all kinds of things, including church. Well, Tom, Karen, did I get that right? So from the time that you prayed until you were time at the new job 
was 36 hours, and you asked me, was my hand in it? Pretty sobering when you think about it, because when you go back and you look at all the pieces that quickly fell into place, it's like God was revealing that. So all these things happened. They happened in this succession, and not all prayers were answered that quick. I give you that. But this one did. We had our answer. Like Gideon, we got the answer not once, but we got the answer twice. The first one was answered very quickly, 36 hours. I'm in a new place, new job. The second one was the proverbial jump ball because what we got led to was, okay, you've asked me the second time, and so what I'm going to do, this is me acting like my Lord speaking, but let's use small letters. He said, so what I've done is, all I've done is redirected you in this jump ball. I've just redirected you back to answer one, which was you prayed, I answered, you're gone, so you need to do that and make the best of it. God had been faithful in his answer, and now what we understood is we must be too, so we moved and began our adventure as a family. Remember, our word today is sovereign. That's where we started, remember? Sovereign. Sovereign means the supreme. It means the ultimate, the ultimate power. It means that it's the ultimate source of power, that God can do anything that he chooses. But he's basically, not basically, he's in charge. And what we think about is, we think about that he controls the smallest things to the largest things. And we always go back and we're driving a lot when Karen and I are driving and we'll see fields of cattle. And I'm reminded of the Psalms verse that said that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That's figurative because he owns it all. But it gives you some dimension of who this person is. It reminds us that as hard as it is for me, it reminds me that he is in charge and reminds me that I am not. So what's our word for today? Sovereign. So we're in the fourth chapter of Acts, and we're going to talk about the situation that this new church is in, starting in verse 23. We're going to talk about the situation, the circumstances this new church is in because they're starting to understand this sovereignty of God, this, this, this father whose son Jesus has just left. So if you're with me in verse 23 in chapter 4, this is what it says. It says, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people, the believers, and reported to all that the chief priests and the elders, what they had said to them. When they heard this, talking about the believers, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And they said, Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Well, there you have it, the new Christians, after hearing about the conversations that Peter and John had had with these chief priests and the elders of the Jewish community, these new converts, they raised their voice and they said that this is our sovereign Lord. We just read that in Scripture. So listen to the acknowledgement of their belief that you see in verse 24. It said, you made the heavens, you made the earth, you made the sea, you made everything that is in them. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty sovereign to me. That sounds like pretty much ultimate power to me. 
It goes in 25, it says, You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. I love these verses because when you think about where we are as a nation and all the things you see on the news today, sometimes we do understand, like Ecclesiastes said, there's not a lot of new things under the sun. Why do nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one, which is Christ Jesus. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided. Talking to the sovereign Lord, they did what your will and power had decided beforehand should happen. So none of this was a surprise. In our life sometimes we think, this surely is a surprise to God. I'm telling you, it's not a surprise to God, nor was our situation. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants. Again, they're in this prayerful environment. Now, Lord, consider the threats and enable your servants to speak your, wor your word with great boldness. Well, we could use some of that in our world, couldn't we? Couldn't we do that? Wouldn't it be great if we, if we felt like that we could speak God's word, word with great boldness? After they prayed, the place where they were in this meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. What an experience that would have been to have been in that environment and the Holy Spirit come and literally it was like an earthquake that it was shaken. See, the apostles and the believers in those days, they believed in the sovereignty of the Lord. They understood that what he was doing, I mean, he was making himself very evident. I mean, you have this, this situation where the building you're in is shaking and the Holy Spirit's coming on you. And they'd had the experiences with the Holy Spirit in this new church world. In verse 32, it goes on and it says this, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own. And we probably should realize that if you don't, by the way. God owns everything. But they shared everything they had with great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They didn't back up from it. And God's grace was so powerful at work with them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, and they brought the money from the sales, and they put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Now, the verses that follow, I'm going to give them to you more in a narrative form rather than line by line, but... In the verses that follow, we see what, what was described there. It talked about that from time to time, they would sell houses or land, and they would bring the proceeds and lay it at the apostles' feet. When you pick it up at verse 36, this is what's happening. Barnabas, which is, which, you know, what he's named, he's been named that because that means encouragement. His name had been Joseph. He sold a field, and what he did was after he sold that field, he brought the proceeds, all of them, and he put it at the feet of the apostles. Now, enters this other couple. Maybe you've heard of them. Ananias and Sapphira. So Ananias comes in, and, and uh, I like what Scripture says. It says that the story I'm going to let unfold to you in a minute, it said that they both, or that, she, that the wife knew she had full knowledge of, 
of what was about to happen. So it was a, it was a joint decision between the two of them. But he shows up, and what he did is he elected to keep back part of the money from the sale of his property. And so when he, when he donated it to the church, he represented it as though he had sold his property and here is everything you have. Kind of the flip side of Barnabas we're going to find out in a minute. Because Peter asking the question, he said, Ananias, he said, how is it that Satan has filled your heart and that you've seen fit to lie to the Holy Spirit? Why would you do that? And Peter goes ahead and tells him that. He said, he said, the reality was, he said, that was your land. It was what you had. And what you did with the proceeds, that was your business. But for whatever reason, you've decided that you'd come right here in the presence of the apostles and that you would not only lie to humans, but you would be lying to the Spirit of God. And if you know the story, Ananias, what he did, he fell down and died. A few hours later now, enters his wife, and she comes in where the apostles are. And the apostles ask her the question, and remembered, her and her husband had already talked about it. But she comes in, and she meets with the apostles, and they just ask her a simple price. They said, is this the price that you got for your property? Because remember, Ananias had represented the fact of what he gave was the total proceeds from, from the property. And she said, yes, that is the price. And I don't know, uh, yeah, I can't even imagine being there when all this was going on because it talks about the church being in fear. I mean, and literally you'd go, holy cow, what are we seeing here? Because what Peter said, he said, well, your husband's dead and the men's feet that you'll see at the door will be coming to carry you out because you're going to join him, you're going to die too. And she did, she fell and died there also and they carried her out. Now... A lot of people will listen to that and they kind of get hung up on the one part about that they had everything in common and they brought that and they gave it to the church because what they do is they people want to say well that's all about money that's all about you know a, a communistic living or living together and selling everything and you have but the reality what it is all about is it's all about the fact that they tried to test the Spirit of God they tried to test the Holy Spirit Why would you and your husband conspire ahead of time? It wasn't even required. It wasn't any requirement that because you sold it, you had to bring it all. But for whatever reason, they decided that they wanted to be represented that way or people would feel good about them or felt guilty. I have no idea why. But for some reason, they decided that they wanted to test the Spirit of God. How could you do that? Because this guy you're testing, who is he, right? He's a sovereign power. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end, Scripture tells us. He's a supreme being. See, one of our biggest battles, I believe this, this is my opinion, but one of our biggest battles here on earth is the fact that we have a hard time accepting the sovereignty of God. And see, that takes you back to that kind of nutty title I gave you when I started. Who is really in charge of my life? A lot of people, I think, they have a hard time accepting that. See, the, the, the nature of us as human is that we start out, I mean, it's selfishness and pride. Those are the big battles for us. 
you know, we, we think about the fact that our philosophies of life, and especially if you watch media and everything that's around it and the people you're with and the do's and the, you know, it's just a matter that we think that the world is built around me. It's drilled into our head that human nature is, is our selfishness, our pride, and the fact that I'm self-centered by my nature. See, I can understand if you don't believe that God's word is really God's word. I can understand that you may say, well, I don't really believe that, therefore those principles don't apply to me. But if, in fact, you choose to believe that, if you choose to believe that the Bible is really God's word, then you have to stop and think about the story we just heard about Ananias and Sapphira. Because you can, if you have facts in front of you, you can make a choice, but the reality is the truth doesn't change. You might deny it, but the truth is still the truth. And that's what they faced. For see, those who believe in the Bible that make a decision that I can take it or leave it, Boy, that's some dangerous territory, folks. If I think I can believe in the Bible, but take it or leave it, based on what else i got going on in my life, ask Ananias and Sapphira, that's probably not your best decision. So where are you with sovereignty? Where are you with this ultimate power, this supreme being? Where are you at in your life? First, do you even believe, you ask yourself, do I even believe God is sovereign? Do I really believe he is the supreme being? Do I believe he's the beginning and the end, the supreme, the person who knows everything? And secondly, if you decide to accept him as that ultimate power, are you willing to let him be in control? Are you willing to let him be in control of your life? Because, see, when, if you decide that you're going to let him be in control of your life, guess what? That means you have to let go and allow him to happen. You have to link, relinquish control of your life in order for him to be in charge of it. A lot of times we go through life and we want to continue to hang on. And, and you know, we're amazed when time after time our decisions don't turn out well. We're amazed by that. You see, for most of us, it's a hard thing because we're, we're so used to running things ourselves. As men, I can't speak for you ladies, but I can tell you for men, it's drilled into us about our responsibility and our leadership and making decisions and being accountable. And for a lot of us, we're used to running our own things, and then after we're kind of about this deep in the mud, we start asking for help, right? Then once we're kind of on down the road and things are kind of flying apart, then I said, oh, Lord, to come in and rescue me. I'm not saying that's the wrong thing either, but I'm telling you it's a whole lot better to be doing that on the front end. Now, here's some encouragement I want to give you. Allowing, to be, allowing to God to be in control of your life, when you let him be in control, it, all, it starts becoming easier to do it. Let me say that again. When you allow God to be in control of your life and mine, it does become easier as you go through this Christian walk. Once we see God in motion, once we see him act and that we understand that, that when I release things to him, it actually brings me more freedom. When I release things to him, it brings me more peace. And when I release things to him, he starts to give me direction for my life. As it was for Karen and I in our first transfer 
After we'd gone through that, believe me, when we made subsequent decisions to that, it became easier for us to trust God in those choices because we were young and we were trying to say, okay, God, you know, how much can I trust you? Well, you know, I've been kind of taught that you trust God, but once you see him in motion, you start, you start building on that learning experience and it becomes easier for us to trust him. That move, though, should we have resisted it? I've thought about that. We could have made a different choice. We could have packed up, gone back home, or I could have resisted it altogether. But the reality is, what if, we, if I had made a different choice and Karen had made a different choice at that point, what we would have done is we would have cheated ourselves out of a lot of relationships, not the least of which is a deeper relationship with Christ because we'd found this new level of dependence on him to continue to guide our life. It wasn't brand new for us, but it was sure a big step for us and a good training time for us. It was a lot of personal growth for our family. I think about that because, you know, we moved from, you know, we moved to Missouri, then we moved to Texas, and then we moved to Arkansas a couple times, and, and, you know, all those things. But the reality is all that, none of that was a surprise to God, and they, all those things worked together. Had we not made that move, I wouldn't be here my kids would not have found the spouses that they found because they didn't find them in Baxter Springs, Kansas. They found them in other places. We would have, we would have missed a lot of personal growth in our family. And we would have list, lived, or we would have missed a lot of valuable experiences that became really the pathway for our family, now our grandkids in life, the, of where they're at, what they're doing. So she trusting God and his sovereignty, it in fact, if you don't know this yet, if you trust him, it will bring more peace in your life. It will bring you more security in your life because you're not out there by yourself. You're not out there making a decision by yourself. You're saying, Lord, I relinquish control. I allow you to have this. And believe me, when you start doing that, it brings you much greater freedom in your life. See, my plea for you today is whether you're in the body here low, right, right in the building or if you're online watching with us today, if you, if you haven't done it, consider surrendering your life. Consider surrendering your life. Allow the sovereign God to be in charge. And you might even be sitting here this morning saying, well, I, I kind of think he is. But the reality is you need to quit thinking that you kind of think he is and decide that you're going to allow him to be there. That when you're making decisions, even on a daily basis, you may think it's a small thing. It ain't small to God. He's a, he controls the smallest. He controls the largest. And so the reality is when you're making those choices, you need to bring him into the conversation. Don't wait till after you've had made the decision. You're on down the road. It's much easier to bring him in that conversation on the front end. We need to believe in our heart. Scripture says that. We need to believe in our heart. We need to confess with our mouth, if you haven't done that, that Jesus Christ is Lord. We're all sinners. You know, if you're a sinner, join the club. We're all sinners. But we're sinners that are saved by grace. And what we need to do is understand that, that I need to accept Christ as the Lord of my life. Because you know what? What he does irrespective of your background, irrespective of all the dumb stuff you've done, 
He makes our path. He makes us white as snow. That that part of salvation is he cleans us up. He gives us that new start, that new jump start when he does that. Because we're forgiven and we're saved. And I'm not saying that you should lay a fleece, okay? So don't believe that's the whole story and you go home and say, well, that's the only way you make choices. But listen to what Proverbs says. This is what I am saying. This is in Proverbs, the third chapter. It says this. Trust the Lord. I'm going to break it up in pieces for you, okay? Trust the Lord with all your heart. That's step one. Trust the Lord with all your heart. If you haven't done it, consider doing it before you get out of here today. Lean not on your own understanding. That's what we've been talking about, right? We're talking about God's sovereignty. And we're saying lean not on your own understanding. Because trust me, your understanding is flawed. Just the way it works. We're going to do some really dumb stuff if we lean on our own understanding. And then he goes on in Proverbs and he says this. In all ways, acknowledge him. Again, pretty simple statement, right? In all ways, acknowledge him. Who is he? Well, he's my Lord. He's my Savior. I'm not embarrassed by that fact. But in all ways, in all my decisions, in how I conduct my life, in my lifestyle, in the choices I make, and and in the habits I have, and whatever those things are, in all ways, I will acknowledge him. And then here's the great part. He says, if you do those things, He said, I will direct your path. I will direct your path. Now, if you have no interest in that, you can kind of go back and just kind of mentally erase this last 20 or 25 minutes. But if you really want God to direct your path, you have a chart to do it. It says, trust the Lord with all your heart. That's where you start. You have to to ask him to be in control. You have to ask him... For salvation, you have to say, Lord, I, I, I relinquish control. I have not done such a good job of running my own show here. Quit leaning on your own understanding and think about, where is God in this equation? What do I do? How, do, how does he affect this choice? Is this choice going to be a godly choice or a worldly choice? And in all ways, I need to acknowledge him because he will direct my path. Now, using Karen and I as an example today, I don't want you to misinterpret that. I'm not, I'm not saying that she and I should be your life model because we can tell you we got a lot of bruises. But the reality is this. What the story I hope tells you today are just a few things. It reminds you who's in charge. I've talked about that a lot today. We've talked about sovereignty. It reminds you who's in charge, and it reminds you who's not, Okay. Who is not in charge? Me, right? That's right. And when we consider that we're in charge of our life, it's a, it's a, it's a wrong step. So I hope what it's done is to remind us that God is in charge. He's the sovereign one. And God does have a plan for your life. A lot of times we think we has a plan for our eternal life, but guess what? He has a plan for this life. And what we have to understand is he has a plan for my life. What am I doing with it? Lord, don't let me squander my time here. It's great that I'm going to heaven, but I do not want to squander the time that you give me here on planet Earth. But in the sovereign nature of him, it's still up to us the way he set it up. It's still up to us. We have to make the choice. 
We're the ones that make the choice. Now, he's chosen us already, right? Believe that? He's chosen us. But the way he set it up is he's chosen us, but we have to reciprocate. We have to also choose him. That's the way it works. We have to surrender. The definition for surrender is to cease resisting, to cease resisting and submit to authority. That's a definition. You cease resisting and you submit to authority. And you have to ask yourself, am I willing to do that? Am I willing to do that? There's that old hymn for some of us that grew up in church singing the same three songs all of our life. But this was one of them. And you always, you know, you always heard it kind of toward the end of the service. And now I kind of go back and think how disrespectful. Because what a great message it had. And it was very simply, it's, it's, I surrender all, I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. And see, that's your choice. That's your choice. You either leave here today and you believe that God is sovereign, that he's in charge and you're not, or what you'll do is you'll stay in the same path, making your same, own same choices, getting the same bloody noses. Now, choosing to have him be sovereign doesn't mean you get out of bloody noses. I don't mean to say that. Because life still has consequences for the things that maybe we're doing or have done. But believe me, it will give you a freedom and security, just, a, a, just understanding his grace gives you so much freedom to be able to live your life and appreciate life as you meet it. So pray with me. I'm going to pray for our meal. We have Second Sunday Social following, and I pray that you'll stay, enjoy some of the spaghetti and the dessert. doesn't matter if you brought anything or not. We want you to stay because that's a good opportunity to meet others that are believers. Bow your heads with me. Father, we're thankful that you're sovereign. Boy, it takes a while to get there, though. Seems like that a lot of times, you know, we're headstrong and we have our own opinion and we let we have all these life experiences that get in our head and, and they some way they formulate some theory about what we ought to do and how we ought to act and where we should go and who we ought to hang out with and whatever those things are, Lord. But help us today to understand that that I I I I, I want to make I want to continue to surrender to you. I pray that people in this audience today and the people online will understand that I need to surrender. I need to cease resisting. I need to cease resisting and I need to submit to the ultimate power. And that's you, Lord. Because I know fact the fact that you have a plan for my life. It's not I'm not here. This is not like some accidental explosion thing. You have a plan for my life. You want, me to, you want me to do something here. I mean, these early, these early Christians, Lord, you've told us in your word that they spoke the word boldly. And I pray, Lord, that in our life that we won't shrink back from our faith, we won't shrink back from our Savior, and we'll let other people know that there's opportunity, there's freedom, there's security beyond their own life here, and that's accepting Jesus. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast. We are located at 990 West Henry de Tonti Boulevard in Tontytown, Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com or you can find us on social media by searching Freedom Fellowship NWA. We hope you have a great week and that you live out the mission of the church, which is to love God, love others, and serve both.